The following is an excerpt from a Wikipedia article about the TV show The River from 2012. Oren Pelly and Michael R. Perry created a series about a documentary crew searching the Amazon for a beloved scientist, explorer, television host. Pelly told The Hollywood Reporter that producer Steven Schneider, quote, became obsessed with the idea of nature run amok and animals taking over humans, end quote. I started developing the idea of a missing documentary reporter who went to this weird place in a rainforest where strange things happen. He added, we were developing it as a low budget movie, but I had a meeting with Steven Spielberg. Spielberg suggested doing a television show with Pelly. Perry added his thoughts saying, why waste the idea for the river on a movie when you can do a TV show where every season they go to a different place? And now? We'll see how many seasons they got, and how many places they went to. everybody <laughs> welcome to another episode of the lost broadcasts um i am hannah i'm esther and what we have for you is a podcast about tv shows that tried and failed to be the next lost um we are in the middle of what we're calling site specific lost alikes uh which are shows that basically want you to believe that a place can be the source of wonder and intrigue and mystery and all that good stuff and not like an event that happens to normal people in a normal place. Uh, so this time, we are heading down all the way to the Amazon River Basin to dip our toes into the river. The river. I was so excited for this one. Um, Why? Well, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a huge fan of found footage movies. I don't know if you, my wife, know this about me. Um, I'm also a huge fan of found footage movies. I didn't know that about you, my wife. Um, what, what what this is making us sound like is at the start of a Captain Midnight video about something he hasn't made a video on recently, where he's like, people might not notice about me, but I'm actually a huge Zorro fan. <laughs> and he turns out to be like more knowledgeable about Zorro than anyone you've ever heard. Friend of the show, Captain Midnight, by the Shout way. Shout out to Captain Midnight. If you are listening, uh, keep up the good work. The thumbnails are awesome. We'll get you on someday, probably. Yeah. Um, no, not, not even joking here. That would no, no, literally, yes. That will probably happen someday. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it, the river is a found footage lost a link. Like, yeah. Which is, like, it's one of the reasons I wanted to do it so soon. Because, like, mm-hmm. that, that premise, that idea is so appealing. There are so few... Found footage things, especially in this era. This was like peak found footage because yeah. it aired in uh, February to March 2012. Um, Ooh, that doesn't sound like it's time for that many episodes. <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, no, but like this is the era when you had like, you know, the paranormal activity movies and like The Last Exorcism was around here and like a yeah. lot of really good stuff. Chronicle. Really... Yeah, exactly. Chronicle, I think, was literally like the same month that this show premiered. There you go. A lot of really good found footage stuff. Um, so the idea of, like, we're going to do one that's a TV show was, like, super interesting to me and super appealing. And 
Not to mention, the the creator of this show is Oren Pelly, who created and directed Paranormal Activity. Like, mm-hmm. he is the guy for this era of found footage. This is not just some, you know, yeah. studio hack job ripoff of his... Uh, it's not his format, obviously, but of the format that he had recently repopularized. It's him doing it. Um, so I was super excited for this. And it's also the first horror show we've done. You and yeah. I both love horror as a genre. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, I think, like, Threshold kind of had horror elements, right? It did, a little bit. It was like... There were shows that we've done that could have jump scares just incidentally in them, but you'd be hard-pressed to call, like, Invasion or Threshold an actual horror TV series. Exactly. Um, But no, this is just a straight-up horror show. Um, And, you know, (laughs) it's interesting because, like, Lost had elements of horror, right? Um, Yeah, it's a smoke monster. There was, like... Especially early on before it became kind of straight sci-fi. It was like, you could say horror was one of the predominant genres on that show, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like thinking about the, the first season where like Saeed goes on his expedition and starts hearing like all the whispers in the jungle and everything. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's sick. Like, it's horror. You know, you never really get horror in this format, I think, you know. It's funny because horror is such a like long-standing... Uh, in terms of the movies and cinema, it has such a long history, right? Um, and in TV, that's just not the case. Like, you know, The Twilight Zone had horror elements, but that was also kind of sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah. And the you X know, Files. The X Files had was part horror, but also part sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's really not a huge TV history of just like straight up horror. Yeah, and, but th- that's what this is. There's a lot. Of shows that you can sort of point to that have like horror trappings or are horror adjacent or that like quote the ideas of horror. Um, like I'm thinking of like Dark Shadows as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that that's kind of how it would be deployed, right? That it's like, if you like horror, you might like this, yes. right? But it's not we're trying to do horror in this context of a series, which we're gonna find out. There's kind of good reasons for that, right? And we're not <laughs> yeah. saying that like a horror TV show is impossible, but like. It suffers real structural challenges, and um, does this show overcome those challenges? Stay tuned. Yes. Um, and yeah, just, you know, the, the fact that it is, and we'll get into sort of the setup Yeah. Of, of how it is a found footage show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's another example of like, we will see kind of the seams of why maybe a found footage thing doesn't really work in a television format. Can you think of any found footage TV shows? The River, number one. <laughs> Um, can you think of a second one? Now I pass it back to you. Um, I am going to go with, uh, The Lost Tapes, which is like a kids mm. found footage anthology yes. horror thing on Animal Planet. Mm-hmm. Um, Scary. Not a Lost alike. Um, but then other than that, it's, I mean, I looked this up, right? I looked up what are found footage TV shows, and aside from The River, um, they're pretty much all either, like, uh, single episodes of TV shows that aren't otherwise found footage. Like, I'm sure Community did one of these, you know? Like, how would, how would they not have Captain Midnight, resident community expert, uh, come on the show and tell us if they did that or not. Um, but it's like, I'm, I'm looking here, there's a Treehouse of Horror segment that was like a found footage pastiche, you know? Um, there's a bunch of like single episodes of, of things and also like, individual uh anthology seasons there was apparently an american horror story one that was a fan of season yes um 
the Roanoke season, which I've always wanted to check out, even though I dropped off that show very early. Because it does sound really cool. Stop recording the podcast and watch that instead. All right, so we just uh, took a break. To... <laughs> We're coming back after about a week. We just watched Ro- Roanoke. So many twists and turns. It was. It was. It was interesting. It was interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, where were we? <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to start the podcast over again? Um. No. Let's do the blowback thing again. Let, let's just explain what the river is. How about yeah, that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the river. <laughs> the river is a one-hour found footage horror mystery series that aired on ABC for eight episodes in the winter of 2012. That's crazy. Um, eight episodes. Wow. Where did the rest of the episodes air? Well, that's in, yeah, because like so many shows we've watched are like, oh, they only got through eight episodes and then they were canceled, or they only aired eight of the 16 episodes. Um, not this one. They just made eight, and that was it. And yeah. It's a total. It's a, give them credit. It tells a story beginning to end. In fact. When I was doing my research, which we'll, get to, which we'll get to at the end, the big selling point of the show was like, all the mysteries will be answered by the end of the eight episodes. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But so, you know, credit to them. They finished the season. It was just exceptionally short. Shout out to uh, Damon Lindelof, by the way. Uh, you know, you, you criticize him in a number of ways. You gotta. But shout out to him for when he was um, promoting the leftovers for a season. Just proudly saying none of the mysteries will be answered this is not that type of show (laughs) if you want your mysteries answered i am never going to do that please don't watch um so what's the the premise of the river yeah all right so when the show starts six months ago dr emmett cole who was this like you know uh, uh a naturalist and a tv show host but basically he's steve irwin yeah um he went missing while he was filming in the amazon river basin Mm-hmm. And now another crew that includes his wife and son, their business partners, and a couple other people, um, they're going to take a boat down the river to search for him. And, you know, this expedition is being funded by the fact that they're going to film everything and make a TV show of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, as Hannah has noted in our notes, the river might have more thrills and chills than they bargained for. Yeah. Um, the main thing to note here is that... Uh, the subject of the investigation being named uh, Dr. Emmett Cole, I was calling him in my head Dr. J. Cole uh, 100% of the time. That's correct. It's like, he, he went missing while shooting a music video in the Amazon River Basin. <laughs> we found some disturbing footage they left behind. Uh, it's just him being really condescending towards women and like doing really corny, annoying wordplay constantly. So what is the scope of the Lost Style Slowburn mystery we always talk about? Obviously, it's, what happened to him? Where'd he go? Where is he um, at? You know, and... Where's what, his phone? What the... Where's his phone? Where the fuck is his phone? <laughs> I'm calling his phone. He's not picking up. He's What's not up? picking up. I texted him. He's not answering on his phone or even on his computer. Um... <laughs> And also, it has a laptop with like the 2000s like computer tower there. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, yeah, it's it's not just like where did he go, but also like is he alive? Um, what happened to him? You know, and what's going on in the the river that makes it such a um, you know scary place? Because this was like a expert naturalist, right? He had survived so many close encounters and. You know, seemed like he would be perfectly at home in a place like this, but apparently it had thrills and chills that he wasn't ready for. Yeah. Um, you know, the mystery is not really the problem here. No. And when I say that, that's to set up the fact that this show 
sucks ass. It's really bad. Um, which is unfortunate because, like I said, we both were really excited to get to this one. Yeah. Really wanted this one to be good. We're expecting it to be entertaining on the level of a lot of found footage stuff we like is entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not. It's just yeah. it's just so bad. But the things that are bad about it do not include Dr. Emmett Cole or the mystery of why he went missing. It's a good oh. setup. It's a good premise. Um, Bruce Greenwood plays Dr. Emmett Cole. We'll talk about him later. He's fucking great. He's so <laughs> good. He's the best thing about the show. Um, and yeah, also, who directed some of these episodes? Uh some great fucking filmmakers, uh, it yeah. turns out. Yeah, the two-part pilot is directed by uh, Jaume uh, Coyette Serra. Uh, he of Orphan and The Shallows and... Um, nonstop. And Nonstop. Yeah. And, um, you know, some other stuff. Past the the years. Three Ten to Paris, is that a real movie? That is a Clint Eastwood film. There you go. What am I thinking of? Didn't he do a Nonstop on a train? He did. Oh, fuck, what was that one? The Commuter. The Commuter! And then he also did Run All Night, which was just nonstop on foot. <laughs> well, if you're on foot, then you could just, like, stop being on foot. Like, the whole point of a plane is that, like, it, it's yeah. it's a situation, you know? I didn't see being that on one. foot isn't a situation. I don't know why he had to run all night. I'm not sure. That's absurd. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, <laughs> so we, we see why he fell off. No. <laughs> Washed, Volgrau Tourism is dead. So, yeah, and also Michelle McLaren does one. And, yeah. um, and, and that one is, you know, is... Was that the one that was really good, actually? Yeah, it was, yeah. Do you yeah. want to guess what the three best episodes are? Yeah, the three best episodes those are the three. ones that they those two guys directed. Um, yeah. So if we have a very compelling setup for a mystery, if we have an absolute heavy hitter playing the subject of that mystery, and if we have some very strong directors helming three-eighths of the episodes, what's the issue? Uh, long story short, it's everything else. <laughs> it's everything else um, about the show, it is unfortunately. every part of the show that doesn't really focus directly on this central mystery, which is a shockingly large amount of it. Um, but we'll get into that a little later, because right now we have to talk about the other thing that really drags the show down, the characters. Yeah. Um, so we didn't write down any notes about the characters in this list, right? We didn't say, like, no. oh, this person's the, the boat captain. We just have names. Yeah. Um, um, Esther, what can you tell me about Lincoln Cole? Lincoln Cole is Dr. Emmett Cole's adult son. He's a med student. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's on the expedition to find his dad, but they clearly had kind of a cold, distant relationship. Yeah. Uh, when he was a kid, he was part of, like, the filming of the Crocodile Hunter-esque show that Dr. Emma Cole made, which was called, like... The, Grand- und- the Undiscovered Country The Undiscovered with Country with Dr. J. Cole. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, his whole childhood was on camera, and he's kind of resentful about that, and he just... They have a, they have an icy relationship, but he mm-hmm. loves his dad, and he wants to go save him, nevertheless. Yeah. Um, that one was easy. He's, like, the main character. He's the main Unfortunately, character. Unfortunately, I see, like, eight, no, eight other names on this list. Yeah, you're fucked. Um... He- yeah, Lincoln is pretty solid. Um, he's definitely more solid in like the first two episodes that um, uh, Jama directed because he is in that a great archetypal character, the overachiever fail son. Um, he has like this really shaggy, like Gen X type haircut. Um, he looks like shit. It's wonderful. I love him. But then like three episodes in, he sort of symbolically like gets a haircut and becomes a little more professional looking and sort of saps some of the, like, cool loser magic out of him. Um, I will go next and try to tell you about Tess Cole. That would be Lincoln's mom, um, Dr. Emmett's 
wife slash ex-wife. I think they were maybe like separated or... I think, doesn't she make a point that they were still married at one point? Mm. It's, it's, they, the character is like, is written to be the ex-wife, but I'm pretty sure she's also still married to him. Yeah. And also clearly still loves him. Yeah, she clearly loves him, but is also like extremely ex-wife coded. Um, She's like the leader of the expedition. She's the one who sort of got like contacted by the network and pulled everyone else together. Um, There's not much to her. She's very like bootleg Amy Brenneman. Um, She's not a very compelling character. Um, She's mostly like talks about like love and and missing him and, you know, how like things were tough, but we got to be a family a lot. Um, And there's like a, a scene in like episode four or five where she's just like saying like, listen, I'm the captain. And when that happened, Esther just sort of shouted at the screen like, Wait, you're the captain? Like, <laughs> yeah, I had not picked up on that up to that point yeah. whatsoever. It's not that these characters are necessarily like horrific assholes, like in our summary of uh, Flash Short. It's just that they make so little impression on you. Um, talk about Lena Landry a bit. So Lena Landry is the daughter of Emmett Cole's longtime cameraman mm-hmm. who also went missing with him. So she has joined the expedition to find her dad as a secondary objective. Um, you know, like in a video game when your objective pops up and then it's like, under that tab, optional. Also find Lena's dad. That's how the show kind of treats it. That, yeah. Um, no. The, I don't remember any fucking thing else about this character. She's kind of Lincoln's love interest because they have known each other since they were kids, but doesn't really go anywhere. She's just kind of there to be in danger sometimes. Yeah, like the way that they express their love is that like there's a scene where... Uh, they're sort of just like on the deck of the boat as they're searching and Lincoln's playing an acoustic guitar and Lena's playing an accordion and they like sing the most like 2012 like stomp clap hey ass song imaginable acoustic guitar it's so funny yeah they become the lumineers they broadcast a signal that that sends reverberations through the continental (laughs) United States and creates the lumineers and that's what season two would have followed is like how did those guys come into existence they weren't there five minutes ago all right. Um, anything else you want to say about Lena Landry? Yes, I do. Um, a quick note that she is an actress that I remember because she was in a show called Lone Star that I watched for two episodes in the fall of 2010. Esther, have you ever heard of Lone Star? No. Uh, which is the correct play. No one has heard of Lone Star. <laughs> uh, it was one of the best-reviewed pilots of 2010. And it was about a Texas con man uh, who's, like, cook, his gimmick, is that he was Polly. Um, <laughs> is that, like, he had a wife and then a, a second hidden life with a girlfriend in uh, across the state of Texas. And he was conning both of their families, but he loved both of them. And his love was true and it was pure. And he was Polly. And at the time, I was being pressured into a Polly relationship that I didn't want to be part of by a girl who was, uh, in retrospect, not super great. And so I remember just like watching this in front of like a really tiny TV and just being like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I hope they make five seasons. Um, it got canceled after two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the showrunner went on to do Awake, which we will someday talk about on these lost broadcasts. Awake fucking rips. We're going to get to that. I can't wait to get to that one. I'm excited. Um, Um, all right. Now, now we get to the hard ones. Yeah. (laughs) Can you tell me who the fuck 
Clerk Quietly was? Clerk Quietly is the producer. He is a guy who you keep expecting to have a character. Um, if this was a movie, then he would be like the first one killed, right? <laughs> he would be the guy who's like, you know, oh, the network says we can fund you, but only if you make this exploitative. <laughs> um, the guy that they got to play him is like, He's like if James Frain was Mark Shepard, if we're talking about like TV character actors. Yeah, he's the he's the guy um, who John Boys once sort of famously described as being like a really sad Mr. Bean. Yeah, yeah, he's the sad Mr. Bean. Um, on that note of me saying that he's like if uh, James Frain was uh, Mark Shepard, uh, this is just a construct that I like to, to use a lot that like, he's like if person X was person Y and the order matters. Like, I'm going to test Estra on this very quickly. Jarrett Allen, is he like if Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was Chance the Rapper or like if Chance the Rapper was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? It's the former. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. No, I know you. Okay, great. I yeah. Know, I know all about you. We me. know each other so well. Um, I was asking Esther uh, earlier today if various movies were Pimp or Beast and it only took, like, three answers for me to get, like, a completely clear sense of what she was talking about. She yeah. called them either Pimp or Beast. This is how we talk to each other in our normal lives. Yeah. It's this many basketball references. It's this annoying. <laughs> it's this inscrutable. Aren't you glad he can be part of our lives? All right. Uh, give me give me the next one. Kurt Brynolds. You'll notice that, like, I got away with saying nothing, actually, about Clark quietly, by the way. Hey, there's nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. you, you would think that he would be, like, more sinister, but, like, he, he apologizes and cries a lot when it comes down to it. He's yep. he's not a character. Kurt Brynoldson. Tell me about him. I can't. I, like, okay. Who is he? I'm looking at the... I'm looking at our character list, and I'm going to use... Pro- literally use process of elimination... Yeah. ...to determine that he is the security guy. You got it. Um, his whole thing is that sometimes he points guns. That's it. He doesn't do... This was a running joke while we were watching the show. He doesn't secure anything. Yeah. He doesn't... The help. only, like, things that they encounter are, like, ghosts they can't shoot. <laughs> he doesn't... He is completely fucking useless. Utterly useless. There's, like, one, like, body cam-ass shot of him just sort of, like, pointing a gun, extending out from the camera, just firing. <laughs> and what it funny. most made me think of is that video of the guy um, who just, like, uh, shoots up his own car after getting cut off in a tunnel. And, like, yes. <laughs> singing along to, like, some EDM song. be like, you could suck my D, you could suck my D. Yeah. And it just blows up his own car. Uh Great, great stuff. All right, tell me about A.J. Poulain. A.J. Poulain is the cameraman. Um, He does not have much of a personality. Um, He is mostly just there because they need somebody to capture footage, and we'll get into the complexities of that a little later. (laughs) The complexities. Yeah, yeah, the complexities. Um, He is, I would guess, a little, like, neurotic and snarky if I was, like, held at gunpoint by Kurt Brynaldson and forced to, like... (laughs) describe his personality there's like a scene late in the show where he is like you know being confronted by kurt who like tells him you know i never liked you you were always talking and i just remember watching it being like wait that was his trait <laughs> that's what we were supposed to take away from his character no yeah it's it zero is, impression it, 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 oh you missed one thing about him it's revealed in the finale he's a gay guy he's a gay yeah. Which is one of those like classic 2012 scenes where he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm gay. What of it, mate? 
and it's like you're supposed to take yeah he's a he's a a british guy you'd uh you're supposed to take that as like progressive it's like oh he said he was gay but also he didn't even care that he was gay (laughs) and that's what real gay is all about yeah like if you held the word gay up to him and said that you were gonna tear it up like it's written on a piece of paper that means nothing to me mate exactly that's him um tell me about emilio valenzuela all right again process elimination yeah. This is, he's like the, the ship mechanic, I think. Mm-hmm. I thought he was the captain for most of the show. Um, no. Just because, like, he acts like it, like he's a local, he's, like, running the boat the whole time. Yeah. He strikes you as, like, the guy who's 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 in charge of the ship. He's not. He's just the mechanic. His whole job, does he fucking do anything? Like, there's no, epi- there's, there's, there's a thing about the show, there's no, like... And partially because it's only eight episodes, but also partially just because it sucks. Mm -hmm. There's no, like, spotlight episodes. There's no episode where it's like, all right, here we're going to focus on Emilio and, you know, what his deal is. uh, Oh, Esther. What? There were spotlight episodes. They just made no impression on you. No, there weren't. No, No, episode three was a spotlight episode on Clark. Episode... No, episode... No, come on. On Clark? Was it Clark? Yeah. Yeah, it was was Clark and AJ. Because remember AJ had to go in the cave? Well, I remember AJ had to go in the cave. Yeah. But I don't remember anything about Clark. I don't remember anything about Amelia. Episode 5 is the spotlight on Lena. Well, okay. But I don't care. (laughs) That's not my problem. (laughs) You're understanding now, uh, dear audience, the difficulties of watching this show. (laughs) Is that it just fucking slides right off. I thought you were going to say the difficulties of watching television with Esther. No. Which is also true. She's a very attentive person, usually. (laughs) Um, And then there's one more character, right? Yeah, uh, Jahel Valenzuela. That's Emilio's daughter. Yeah, that's um, easy, like, same last name. Yeah, she doesn't speak English, and she is very mystical. Um, she is always the one who is just, like, telling them in subtitled Spanish uh, that, like, oh, we're now going into the zone of, like, you know, the scary witch, who is, like, <laughs> the scariest witch yeah. in 300 miles. Literally every episode is, like, you don't want to go in there. That's the place where the river ghost is and they're like oh the river ghost it's episode six by this point they're like oh my god you mean there's a river ghost (laughs) (laughs) like they haven't been encountering them day by day and i want to be clear i don't want to make fun of like the specific creatures and monsters that they include like conceptually well we don't Um, want them to come get us (laughs) okay shut up i see that like a lot of them are actually drawn from like um indigenous brazilian folklore right Mm -hmm. of like no yeah these are the types of of creeps and ghouls that'll come for you in the Amazon River Basin. Um, but we can definitely criticize the implementation uh, because there is a lot of weak-ass monster shit in the show. It's bad. Uh, but yeah, Jahel's other thing is that like she gets possessed all the time. Um, Introduced in episode one. Did not bring it back again for a very long time. Yeah, no, she's like the occult expert, you know? Like, she can do the um, Katie, Katie Featherston thing where she, like, you know takes on very different body language, is now, like, very stiff, and is like, bitch, I'm a ghost now. Um, so that's our cast of characters. And then, finally, we have the main event of the evening. Fighting out of the Pacific Palisades neighborhood of Los Angeles, California, he is the reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the world, Bruce, the frequent Mike Flanagan collaborator, Greenwood. He's awesome. And you might be thinking, but how? Isn't he missing? Um, And, you know, there's a lot of material that's like every episode opens with like a clip from the old show that he used to make that sort of reframes, you know, what's going to happen. And then also like 
episode six is entirely about how he got lost and like uses footage that they find. What a concept. Um, <laughs> him and what happened to him. And then he does reappear just at the end. Yeah. Um, episode six, best episode of the show. It's so good because it's all about just Bruce Greenwood acting his fucking ass off mm-hmm. and like talking about his regrets and he just he just fucking kills it like this is so we talk often about like you know we haven't i don't think we talked about it on the show too much lately but like what can what one character would we take yeah from this to like build our lost to like defunct land um <laughs> yeah and defunct um, land friend of the show gonna be coming out. <laughs> defunct land is not a friend of the show yeah we'll be doing a five hour episode with defunct land yeah. it's just gonna be music we're gonna cry a lot it's gonna be, and it is, it is this time, and it's really a documentary. Yeah. And you better think so. We're, we're <laughs> making fun of Defunct Land here, but no, he does a lot of good work. No, he's great. I've been a fan for yeah. a long time. And he is my best friend. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but we, we've talked about, like, if we could make our own Lost Like by just plucking the best character out of each of these. Um, from Invasion, we had the Evan Peters kind of, like, weird teenager. Uh, from uh, Surface, we took, like, Belle's character. Uh, fantastic. From Threshold, uh, you're gonna have to go back and listen and figure out who he took, because it was, like, a one-episode, like, episodic villain. Uh, that's how little of an impression that show made on us, as far as, like, positive yep. things. <laughs> um, episode four was, what, was that Reunion? Yeah. Carla Easily. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Flash forward, um, I don't fucking think we took... Did we just say, like, oh, we're gonna take Courtney B. Vance and just, like, give him better material? I think that is what we said. Yeah. Um, Daybreak, Brett Hopper. Of course. Flight 29 down, it's going to be Taylor. It has to be Taylor, She no is question. going to torment Evan Peters' is like weird <laughs> sort of half-school shooter kid so much. Um, the kids section of our show is going to be on point. And from here, we take Bruce Greenwood, right? It's it's so clear that he is head and shoulders above everyone. It's He's the best actor involved. He is also somebody who is given easily the best material. He gets to have his focal episode directed by somebody who really knows what she's doing. Um, and it's like, Bruce Greenwood isn't, like, the, like, literally the best actor, right? Like, you watch him on a show like Mad Men, and he does great work there, but he is sort of on an even playing field with the amazing ensemble cast of Mad Men. Yeah. Here, he is, like, those videos of, like, NBA player goes to park and does, like, chase down blocks on 11-year-olds. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's not even, the, the gap is so big. Yeah. Um, so those are our characters. Uh, I am so glad that you got to meet them because we will be forgetting about them as soon as possible. That's right. Um, let's talk about the structure of this show. Because uh, there's only eight episodes. Yeah. Uh, we said in some of the longer shows that it's like, oh, there's not much of a plot. There's like 30 episodes. You don't want to go through each one. I think we can summarize every episode here because there's not that much and the summaries can go very quickly. Yeah. There's also not much to the episodes individually. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, episode one, we start with a couple of like brief New York segments where they're like getting the whole team together, like getting everybody to agree to be part of the expedition. And then the crew quickly finds the Magus, which is uh, Dr. J. Cole's boat. Um, They find that there is, it's abandoned, um, but there's like a scary monster in there. Um, Esther, you theoretically remember how this one ends? I mean, they put the monster back in the box. I'm pretty sure. Is that it? Because the monster's in the box. 
And they let it out. And I'm pretty sure they put it in a new box. Yeah. Okay, they just found a second box for a monster. It's either that or the original box. See, that's the crazy thing about this one in particular, is that, like, you can tell that this is originally um, potentially, like, an idea for a movie. Because, like, 12 minutes in is when we get the first, like, attempt at horror, right? Um, It is paced very much like a found footage horror movie would be. Except that at the part where, like, people would start dying, instead they're just like, all right, guys, we put the monster back in a box. Uh, we solved that, but we still have so many adventures ahead of us. And it just ends, right? It's it's very weird. They could have made, like, a perfectly solid, if not, like, particularly beloved movie out of this. Instead, they made it into uh, eight episodes. Um, episode two, we have a spooky doll spirit. Yeah, they sort of, they're walking through the woods and they encounter this grove that's just full of spooky dolls everywhere. Mm-hmm. This episode two, two episode premiere, this is show premiered with. Yeah. So if you stuck around through episode one, this is what you were greeted with. It's like, and now here's what a regular old episode of this show will be like. Here's the spooky doll ghost. Yeah. Um, so stupid. So, so dumb. Um, total ripoff of Blair Witch Project in these scenes where they're stumbling around. They wake up after, you know, uh, sleep, setting up camp. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, the dolls. Oh, they moved. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's just, 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 just dumb. Um, and But that is the first example of, like, how every single episode is, like, a different river guardian. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, after a while, we were just like, how many fucking guardians does the river have? Like, yeah. It's just a new, a new one every single week. Yeah, it's like a classic, like, um, it's like a Mega Man game where it's like... <laughs> Dr. Wiley has sent the nine River Guardian robots to stop your progress. Um, they should have acquired powers from passing each River Guardian. They should have, yeah. The dolls have found you worthy, and now you have the power of hope. <laughs> so, yeah, episode three, there's um, a tribe of, of River Guardians. They guard this particular stretch of the river. They turn people blind unless, uh, you know... That you pass the test or something. <laughs> yeah. I think this is the one where AJ has to go in the cave. It's the one where he goes in the cave, yeah. Even though he it's, hates it. He hates being in a cave, yeah. Every episode in just this middle stretch is them, like, figuring out how to apologize to different monsters. Yeah. They appease the, they appease the tribe, mm-hmm. and they are allowed to move on. Uh, episode four, they find um, one of Dr. Cole's cameramen, who's played by... Um, oh, no! He's the guy I like! Scott Michael Foster. Yeah. Who was on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend... Wonderful actor. Wearing um, one of the worst wigs of all time in oh, this show. So, so bad. Google Look, Scott Michael Foster the river. Please do. Google just... Scott Michael Foster shirt off. <laughs> Get in on that Google action. Scott Michael Foster, I go to the zoo for a silly song. <laughs> um, no, the, uh, his deal is that he's being hanged forever. Yeah. They just find him hanging from a noose like on the river, and but he's alive. Because he, he offended some spirits, and so now they're yelling at him forever. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> and so the crew has to figure out how to apologize to them again. And you'll never believe what happens. They find a way to appease the spirits, and yes. then they're allowed to pass. Um, <laughs> episode 5, um, they meet some... They're make, actually mixing things up in this one. Mm-hmm. So they come across like another crew, like another boat of like environmental activists who oh, are cool. just there, and they're like, "Oh, let's hang out. Let's be on the boat." Um, but it turns out those guys are uh, ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they want to uh, imprison them all on the ghost ship so they can be free. 
Is that why they would be Yeah, free? yeah, it's because it's like, you need to take our places. Oh, I thought, I don't know. They could have just been evil and just wanted to eat them no, or something. No, they're fine. No, okay, but anyway, they appease the ghosts and they're allowed to pass. They don't appease them. They just, I think they just outwit them. Yeah, um, there's like a really awfully done ghost combat scene here. And it's those like, are just awfully done ghost, like, special effects um, yeah. when they turn mean and ghostly. Yeah, so, so do you see the issue here? It's just that, like, we've had so many episodes of, like, episodic horseshit where you really want this type of thing to feel like it is a connected mystery. Um, but their big idea is that, like, every episode we have 42 minutes worth of, like, here is a new monster. Um, and it just doesn't fucking work in, like, the format, you know? Like, horror doesn't do those types of resets necessarily. When we were talking about, like, a horror TV series, like, it can't just be... Like, imagine if we were watching, like, The Chucky Show... And every episode is just like, guys, we tracked down a new Chucky. We got to kill him in 40 minutes. Let's go. That's the thing is like, I think part of the reason why this doesn't work as horror is that like, one, everything comes and goes so quickly that it's hard to get like a good sense of why you should even be scared. Yeah. Because obviously, you know. Uh, they try to set it up where like oh well of course if the footage was found it's because something terrible happened to all these people mm-hmm. um it's not gonna be the fucking episode three like tribe that makes you blind exactly yeah it's like well this is episode three obviously whatever maybe they get picked off one by one but like by episode four that's clearly not happening yeah so you know by episode <laughs> five they're gonna be fine obviously yeah because like again that's just how they structure the episodes it's like both three and five have this, like, extremely interminable structure where, like, in three, it's, like, first one character goes blind, then another character goes blind, then another character goes blind. And in five, it's the same thing with, like, first one character gets, like, locked up by the ghosts, then another, and so forth. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, well, if multiple are hap- if that's happening to multiple characters, then I know it's not going to stick, right? Like, if one person gets blinded, then it's, like, okay, maybe there's actual tension here about, like, is one of these characters just going to be fucked up for the rest of this, like, limited series run? Um, or are they going to get cured? But if everyone's going blind, they're just like, okay, it's episode three out of eight. We know that they're going to get over it. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, I think one thing that's really important for horror movies is that, like, because it's a movie and it's a limited runtime, you don't have this chance to get, like, familiar with whatever's supposed to be scary. Mm-hmm. slasher series uh, you know something i've talked about all the time is that the idea that like the longer that a slasher series goes on the more that the villain becomes the protagonist yeah she literally talks about that all the time i do yeah <laughs> it's like in the morning she'll like wake me up and yeah. just like caress my face gently and say that like over time the slasher villain becomes the protagonist i and i do yeah. Um, but no, it's because the more familiar you get with this one character who is the only one carrying over film to film, the more you like root for them to continue driving the plot as they have been for film after film that you've been enjoying. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, you know, but I, but I think that like, for for example, the Paranormal Activity movies, those are short and they're effective because you don't get to spend enough time with whatever horrible entity is doing this in each film to like get an understanding of it you know when the first paranormal activity movie ends you still don't know what the fuck was going on or like why it was doing this or what the rules of it were mm-hmm. or, you know Blair Witch Project another great example of like because it's a film your ability to get familiar with the circumstances you're seeing is really limited yeah and an eight, eight episode television show even if it's episodic like this one is it's like okay I mean 
so they're going to be on the boat and they're going to encounter something scary and like it's just the same thing over and over you get familiar with the pattern mm-hmm. and how can it it can't be scary it doesn't work as horror because you just like become inured to it basically yeah it's it's a pattern that like gets very thankfully broken in episode six um because yes. that's something you've been mentioning where they just find like the camera that dr cole had been using and they like get to see the final footage that he recorded um they don't find him yet but they they get to to sort of see his last moments that are being tracked um, and it's very cool, because it's like, he starts out with a couple of guys with him, but, you know, gradually over the episode, like, they either, like, run, or are captured, or they're killed until it's just him. Um, and a lot of it is just, like, Bruce Greenwood talking to camera, like, trying to overcome the situation that he's in, trying to, like, you know, record his last, like, apologies and regrets and whatnot, he is kind of, like, losing his grip on things a little bit, but, like, it would have been so easy for them to just have this episode be like, okay, every scene, uh, Bruce, you're going to want to be 5% more crazy. And they don't do that. It's much, much better than that. Like, he is somebody who is getting broken down, but, like, there's a lot of vulnerability. There's a lot of regret. He does a very good job. And really the only, like, input from the main cast is that they just, like, are watching this, you know? And, like, yeah. occasionally it'll just, like, cut to their reactions and you just, like, see his son, like, crying and just being, like, where the fuck was this guy, like, my entire yeah. life? Like, this is a dad that I really could believe in, but, like, now he's he's gone. It's a great episode. It's, it's fantastic. Like, I was getting... I was getting teary-eyed. It's... It, like, it made me believe in the river. Yeah. For a moment. And the ending, which reveals that he got taken to this facility. It, like, it makes you want to watch the next episode. Yeah. Which was an experience we had not been having prior to that. No, and and that's a big problem of doing something that's so, like, episodic. Because, like, even if you have sort of episodic types of things, like, I mean, fucking Threshold did this better, right? Because, like, they would say pretty much, like, okay, so we beat that specific alien, but now we know this extra tidbit of knowledge about the aliens is going to help us unravel their plan. It would make you think, like, oh, shit, how are they going to use that in the next episode? You know, the answer often turned out to be not really, but, like, they'd at least try to get you invested in what happened next. This is, like, the only cliffhanger that they have in here, the only one where you're just like, what the fuck is this facility that just got dragged to? I need to see that. Yeah. Uh, The facility just turns out to be nothing, like, by the way, episode seven... They go there, and there's some rage zombies in there. Yeah, can I just say that, like, an abandoned, like, hospital, like, medical facility with a bunch of, like, you know, tile hallways and whatnot, like, if you're sending a found footage movie in there, then, like, that is the equivalent of a, like, pro wrestler just walking into a city and just being, like, you know, and it makes it especially great for me to capture this championship in Pittsburgh. (laughs) Um, no, it, it, this, the only real notable thing about this one is that when they find Dr. Cole, he's in, like, a cocoon, which was pretty funny. Yeah, he's, um, he's in a cocoon. Um, and they do a thing, they do the great dumb TV show thing, where they cut to a clip of him from the TV, from his old TV show being like, well now, when an animal is in danger, sometimes it can be known to enwrap itself in a cocoon to keep itself safe. It's like, yeah, I know what a fucking cocoon is, thank yeah. you. I understand that when he's in this thing what that means (laughs) yeah it sucks um but like he wakes up um they they run from the rage zombies to get back on their boat um quick question for you esther uh who attacks them on the boat who's among the rage zombies 
Um, it's it, a character that's closely related to one of the main cast. <laughs> it's the German security captain's wife. Whoa. I, wait, that's what that was? Yeah. Because I remember a thing where he's like, oh, I can't shoot her. I can't bring myself to do it. But I... I I, look, I was fucking checked out of, of the river. I was just so, like, confused by the idea that you wouldn't shoot your wife with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, well, it can't be his wife. Why didn't he just do it? Yeah. <laughs> Why doesn't he just physically attack her day after day? <laughs> hey, come on now. Come on now. She literally reached for a weapon and she said, come I on. I reached for a stuffed capybara. That's what's in my hands She was right going to throw at me. I was going to gently hand it to you so that you could be safe. Okay, I'm safe fucking- now. Done. Um, yeah, we we're joined now by a stuffed copybara. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that's episode seven, episode eight. Um, Lincoln just gets shot and killed. Yeah, they just shoot shoot him in the neck and kill him. Yeah, um, and there's like a brief mystery of like, damn, who shot him? And were they trying to shoot Doctor Cole instead? Almost definitely, because like, why would they have held out until now? Um, the main suspect is the security captain, uh, but it turns out to be. Scott Michael Foster, the cameraman. Yeah, the second um, cameraman. Unfortunately for him, <laughs> what they do a ritual to bring Lincoln back to life, mm-hmm. but he's possessed by the evil ghost who is like seems to be like the main evil ghost who's been like behind everything the whole time. Yeah. Um, and but I also couldn't tell if that was just like an employee of the main evil ghost. It's unclear. Because it like speaks about La Boyuna in the third person, and I couldn't tell if that was just but like... But I think La Boyuna is just supposed to be like the area they're in. Oh, is that Which it? Is like, yeah, I think La... Cause I thought it, it was the entity. I think La Boyuna is just like... Or maybe it's named for the entity. I apologize to entities and areas. <laughs> um, if you are La Boyuna, please, we want to bring you on the show. Um, <laughs> You're literally inviting evil presences <laughs> in. <laughs> no, but he, he fucking, You're like... Always summoning. Rips Scott Michael Foster's head off. And then uses ghost powers to edit the footage. Because there's cameras all over the ship that's recording. Yeah. We'll get to that. To edit the footage so it looks like he just peacefully leaves the room. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really funny. <laughs> no, the kill scene's good. It's a good scene. Yeah. But no, they do an exorcism. Um, they save Lincoln. And then there's an ending where they fly a drone up above the ship. And it's revealed that the river is actually like physically reshaping itself to keep them trapped forever. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's you a know. cool moment, but it's, like, a very abrupt ending. It's just, like, the last thing that happens is, like, we see that reveal of the shot, and it's, like, the river. It's not letting us leave. And cut to credits. Yeah, it series makes you, over. It makes you wonder, like, when they said that they can go to new locations every season. Like, what the fuck were they talking about? This yeah. Is how, if you knew it was going to end with them just trapped in the river, you were probably going to have to return to that in season two. <laughs> well, by new locations, they meant, like, a slightly different part of the river. A new part of the river. <laughs> Because, again, what, if, if you're going to a different location, is it always going to be a river? Is it, like, episode two, we're, like, on the Nile River? Episode three, we're on the Mississippi River, and there's, like, a talking alligator that wants us to head and sings nice. the blues? That would be nice. I would watch that. I would like to see the talking alligator that sings the blues. Plays trumpet. Oh, my God. I love the singing alligator. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so uh, we are and taking... And it has, like, a frog chorus. Yeah, we are taking from season two of The River. Uh, we are putting the singing alligator into our, like, yeah. bespoke lost alike. And the cor- the, the f- and, and the frogs play drums, and they just are all jumping on the different parts of the drums. That's insane. That goes insane. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And you understand why they would respect the alligators earlier. Well, because it's bigger. <laughs> I was literally going to say because it's bigger. Okay. Um, 
there's obviously not that much to talk about with the Polish show. We just fucking blazed through it, and we left out, like, nothing. Yep. Um, but we can talk about a couple more things, right? We can talk about how could we have structured this show to make it a little less of a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, and one idea is that you could try to layer in the Bruce stuff a little more. Because that shit fucking ruled. Yep. And it got to be one really good episode. But if it got to be, like, parts of every episode, I'm sure that I would have enjoyed all the other episodes more. Yeah. Yeah, you could also just, like, if you really need to keep the Monster of the Week stuff, I like the idea of it being, like, something that almost exclusively happens in those, like, Bruce sections. Where it's, like, this is the footage that he thought he was assembling into, like, a miniseries where it's, like look at me beast through these monsters and figure out how to apologize to them and, like, cut to the camera with, like, a moral lesson about how you have to show, like, respect to the natural beauty of the world, you know? And then it's, like, he starts out just beasting the monsters completely, but then over time it's, like, starts to be able to do it a little less confidently and whatnot. That could be a fun way for it to go. And then you, like, keep the the sort of main cast on the more, like... um, you know, the the more serialized aspect of it with, like, they're just trying to track him down and they're not getting waylaid by more monsters every week. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just, like, found footage, realistically, is going to be hard to do in this format. Yep. It is not common as a TV show format for a reason, um, but I don't think it's impossible, necessarily, which is why, briefly, we have prepared, each of us, two shows... That we, or two movies that we think could be sort of, like, made into found footage series in a way that, like, could work. Um, not, like, literally saying, like, Nintendo hired us, man, like, make these shows or whatnot, but it's, like, you know, obviously Blair Witch could not be a TV show. Yeah. That would fucking suck. Um, but, like, what could potentially be something that lasts for more than a movie's length? Um, I think Cloverfield... Okay. I think that it could be sort of like a semi-anthology thing where it's like, you know, you get the different footage from different perspectives of like, first four episodes, here's different people who had cameras in that like hour yeah. stretch, right? You interpret it all through their different lenses. Then they shit starts crossing over, right? Like the different characters like encounter each other, like, you know, you start to converge towards something, towards the season finale. Um, it lets itself be very episodic because it's like, New York City is often considered the city of a million stories. Um, So just tap into some of those and get footage from a bunch of them. Uh, What do you think could be a found footage TV show? First one I thought of was Chronicle, which to me has like, you know, not to say that movie should have been longer (laughs) necessarily, but like, I think it has like the bones of an an eight episode miniseries that could totally have been built out and had more like, you know, yeah plot beats and and a little more developed characters you know and get more into their relationships and stuff i think like mm-hmm. you totally could have done that with chronicle yeah, um, like the school shooter one like running the guy off the road like that's the cliffhanger for like episode three or whatever yeah exactly right? and it's like episode four it just dives in and it's like did you mean to do it you know yeah i think like you could totally all all, all the bones are there for a, a a really good just like not a, not a full length season but a, a yeah like a, a river length season of television. Rivers are really long, Esther. Rivers are long. Um, so you're actually by nature a very long season of television. Well, that's why the show sucks. <laughs> it 
didn't understand how long rivers are. Yeah, they didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. Okay, the second movie that I think could be like a good format for a found footage TV series is one called Phoenix Forgotten that you and I saw and like I think five other people saw. This it would be so good. It's so fucking sick. It's one of my favorites. Um, but like the premise basically is that like, you know, this girl's um, big brother and like the girl the big brother was crushing on and like a third friend that formed a love triangle they went missing in 1997 or 1998 um after seeing the phoenix lights um you know around phoenix arizona and uh you know got taken by aliens and shit right and the movie is sort of really well structured in terms of like interspersing the footage that those kids recorded 20 years ago and like the footage that like the sister is now making into this, like, glossy Netflix-style, like, you know, almost true crime documentary where it's like, what is the cover-up behind these missing kids? And that can absolutely be extended to a TV series, right? Like, it has different modes that you can sort of shift in and out of. I think that's a huge thing that can make found footage not be so onerous for a TV show. Uh, I think it could really work. And you've got one more. Yes, mine... I think I'm I'm honestly surprised you didn't pick this one. It's Grave Encounters. Yeah. Um Grave Encounters is literally structured as an episode of a fictional Ghost Hunter TV show. <laughs> um and I So in all the other ones they just like filmed the Ghost Hunter show disingenuously and nothing happened. <laughs> well no, I think it could be a thing of like, you know, oh, this Ghost Hunter show that was, you know, supposed to be set out to be, you know, made cynically and fake, they start to encounter real ghosts every week. And they narrowly make it out, and it's sort of, you know, slowly convincing the main character that ghosts are real. Um, I think that'd be fun. I think you could totally make, like, a... a, It's a little more... It would be a little more mockumentary format, obviously. But that's, I think, basically the same thing as found footage. I don't see a huge distinction. Grave Encounters is a hoot. Grave Encounters is so good. It's it's a stretch to call it good, but it's like... Grave Encounters is so good. (laughs) If you... No, it's actually really good. (laughs) If you want to get, like, again, thrills, chills, and spills out of a found footage movie... You can't go wrong with Grave Encounters. Yeah, uh, I love that one. Deeply stupid, but like some of the most uh, fun I've had with a horror movie. Yes. In a long time. Um, so one thing we, we talked about a second ago yeah. um, is, you know, we were talking a lot about Bruce. Yeah. And one way to improve the show is to sort of get more Bruce material in there. Mm-hmm. And one uh, group that really has taken that lesson to heart this year is the Indiana Pacers. Fuck <laughs> up. So why don't we move into um, <laughs> basketball? <laughs> New episode of the <laughs> Smash Big Double. Okay, um, so you know we've been talking. <laughs> Anna's like rubbing her eyes in anguish right now. Um, I want to go home. <laughs> we are home, babe. We're I know. Home. I know. I know. So the Smash Big Double. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know we talked to the about this episode, how the cast of characters is, like, super weak on the river. Yeah. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to cast a lost alike about an ill-fated expedition to a mysterious supernatural jungle. But we will only cast NBA players yeah. to fill our classic lost archetypes. Who you got? I think that the um, Bruce Greenwood figure is played by a guy who... Has a lot of emotional complexity to him, maybe some volatility. Um, we know is like extremely charismatic, right? Very engaging speaker, and would have a reason to say like, disappear from the league indefinitely. I think that when Draymond Green gets suspended on an indefinite 
term, he goes to the Amazon. He says, fuck it, I'm out. I'm in the Amazon now. And then he doesn't come back. We don't know. This 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 dropped from Woj hours ago as we recorded yeah. this, by the way. We don't know if he's back by the time you listen to this. <laughs> For all we know, us recording this in like the middle of the month, um, Draymond Green is never going to be seen again. Yeah. So I think also you need a guy, you know, you need a lock on a lost to like. Yeah. Like, on a good one anyway. 100%. You need a guy who's very like spiritual, um, but also like causes a lot of, you know, drama because of like his, his will and his uh, his ideas sometimes don't this they kind of clash yeah. with the people around him and, and and cause anguish. So I do think we have to have Kyrie Irving on the boat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't like that he's there. <laughs> I don't uh, support him. Antihero. He but he he's he is he hmm, he's he's an anti he's an anti something for sure. Yeah. Um, but I do think he has to be there. Who are we casting as the woman of the show? The woman. Who is the most womanly? <laughs> Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> Tyrese Halliburton, who has a very... Extremely friendly, cute, winning smile. People call him Hallie. I'm sorry, that's a woman's name. <laughs> <laughs> if you're named Hallie, you're a sensual-style woman to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, he's great. We love Tyrese Halliburton. Um, but I think he's an easy lock for the woman of the show. Yeah, it's just like uh, Kyrie Irving is an easy lock. Shut up! (laughs) I loved... This is brutal. I loved the beat where the look on your face was of confusion before it became one of recognition. Yeah, no. That's just making me feel emotions and I'm not here for it. Uh, Who's like the Ben Linus of this situation? Yeah, you don't know what side he's on. Exactly, yeah. He's, um, He's definitely like very like charismatic and in a type of like deadpan wit type of way but like you never know where his loyalty lies ultimately you feel like he's only out for himself and he'll betray whoever whatever team he's currently on kevin durant (laughs) yes i'm thinking of kevin durant i'm thinking of kevin durant yeah Yeah, i think think that's gotta be him Um, he's just gonna sign like a four-year contract with la boyuda like four episodes (laughs) my next chapter yeah he's like i don't know la boyuda's got some rings Okay, let's do one more character. What type of archetype do you want to? Um, who haven't put we had this? yet? Um, we don't have a Hurley. I mean, I feel oh, like you should have a yes. Hurley. No, a guy who's, who's beloved by all, mm-hmm. charismatic, yeah, um, a peacemaker, very laid back, very laid back. How about Stephen Adams? Yes. Don't you love that? Stephen Adams is so often the heart of his team, and arguably Hurley is the heart of the show. Loss. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, um, let's wrap this sucker up, because we have, like, maybe one or two more things to talk about. Um, before we just sort of, like, turn to our closing analysis, I want to talk about how this show is shot, because we've talked about it being found footage, right? But it's like, well, how? Found footage isn't always necessarily the same thing, right? Like, in Blair Witch, we only have, like, a couple of cameras, and it is very clear at all times, like, who is holding a camera based on this is the person that has physically that specific camera, right? There are some where it's like screen uh, share footage, right? Like if we're talking about Unfriended Dark Web. Um, and there's some where broader things get incorporated. Like you'll get security footage in something like a Chronicle or whatnot. Um, what is the footage capture method of the river? So it's <laughs> AJ. Yeah. And then the boat has a million cameras on it. Mm-hmm. That's it. So they can't capture reverse shots because they just have one 
mobile cameraman, right? Oh, 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 au contraire, my friend. What? They capture so many reverse shots on this show. Wait, but fan footage movies don't typically have shot reverse shot. Well, yeah, because typically there's only one camera. But you can lie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. As the river discovers very early on, you can just have, you could just film shit from whatever angle you want and no one will notice except us. There's another cameraman who is, like, theoretically a member of the original cast, but he gets killed at a point that, like, I genuinely could not tell you when. I I have no no idea which episode. He's just not there anymore after a certain point. Yeah, he's gone. And, like, they get another cameraman in the form of um, Jonas, who is the Scott Michael Foster guy. Yeah. Um, But he is often just, like, in a completely different place. And they'll still do, like, reverse shots when, like, we just see you know, from the kind of coverage that's in place from, like, the static surveillance cameras all over the boat, like, wait, there can't possibly be a cameraman there, right? Like, literally, I'm looking at who's there. Nobody is in the location from which that shot was captured. And it's just, the scenes are super visible. It's really, like, sometimes they'll give you, like, grainy surveillance cam footage. They do some of the Oren Pelly tricks where it's like, all right, we're at 1.24 a.m. Watch it speed up. And go through the night, and then at three o'clock, it slows down again. And you know something fucked is about to happen. And they, they do all the tricks, right? It's it's a very, like, Oren Pelly tricks-heavy show, but a lot of it's just the mass the fact that, like, it's really bad at being found footage. Yeah, it just... One, one thing that became clear very early on is that, like, you know, the, the studio just, like, or the network in this case, rather, mm-hmm. clearly there were some, like you know, message sent to Oren Pelly that's like, can we dial back on the found footage stuff? Can we make this shot a little more traditionally so that it doesn't throw people off? Yeah. Which is just classic network hackery of like, we're buying this because it's this thing. And now now that we're making it, can you make it less this thing? Yeah, it's like, okay, we are going to get in on the found footage craze. Uh, What we have in mind is a TV show that is not scary, where everything kind of resets at the end of every episode and, like, no character even dies or anything. Um, Where all the, like, cool scares and tricks are things that you definitely have seen specifically happen in this guy's movie, Paranormal Activity 1, like, two or three years ago. Um, But here's the good news. It costs $50 million because we're shooting on location (laughs) in, like, a tropical jungle. It is, like... They just blow it so hard. This was the first disappointment of the show because we were so excited, like we said, to get a found footage TV show, a found yeah. footage lost like. But they just like utterly abandon the conceit most of the time where mm-hmm. there will be like scare segments that kind of lean in harder to it. But then most of the show is just utterly like yeah. traditional network drama. It'll be a very traditional like network drama. Um, but then they'll like try to remind you that this is found footage by doing like a bunch of handheld zooms and it's like i'm sorry that's not the language of found footage horror that's the office like you are you are talking about the antics and the hijinks of dunder mifflin paper company right now (laughs) it is yeah i mean mockumentary has been a a tv format for a while and it was again huge at the time parks and rec was around you know is parks and rec a mockumentary that's crazy i've never seen it so i don't know Oh, look at, um, look at, look See, at See, I didn't you. have cable when I was growing up. <laughs> okay. Parks and Rec was on the air when you were in college. Yeah. I'm, and when I was in elementary school. I finally get to make you mad. 
<laughs> I'm taking back the wife's prerogative. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm being handed a stuffed capybara. Oh, the violence. Yeah. Um, no, it, it is just like... It's network sheen, right? It's, it's a like, network sheen. Well, we have all this HD stuff. We just made that switch over. Like, why would we not take advantage of that? You're telling us you want to, like, record this in, like, a lower resolution? Like, I don't get it. Um, so it, it sucks in that way. Like, there's a lot of disconnect between, like, so much of, like, the power of found footage is that, like, it is about, like, embodied perspectives, you know? It is, like, we are seeing through someone's eyes. But, like, there's a lot of instances in this show of, like, something scary will show up on the camera as, like, a digital artifact. Like, they'll be looking at a person and then it'll suddenly flash and that person's, like, face shows up as, like, a scary ghost face. But it's, like, the characters who aren't holding the camera can't see that so they don't react. And the character who is holding the camera doesn't react because he's not a character. Yeah. You know? So it's, like, they never make use of the, the potential. There's, like, talking head interview segments... And not in a single one of those do we have, like, you know, the backdrop being, like, the jungle, and then all of a sudden, something, like, scary scurries through it, and it's like, did you see that? So obvious. Such yeah. a gimme. Such low-hanging fruit of, like, how you kind of blend these things together, and it just never, ever gets taken advantage of. Yep. Um, the All the daytime exterior shots on the ship just look like a normal TV show. Like, it's really you weren't brutal, even trying. Yeah. They, you can kind of trick your brain when it's like dark and it's nighttime and they're inside into feeling like, oh, this is like a real found footage horror movie. Yeah, like when the only lighting is like, you know, kind of motivated lights of like, this person has a flashlight or like the yeah. camera just like has a light on it. Um, but that's it, right? Like, that's as far as they go with any yeah. of it. And, like, uh, Coyette Sarah and Michelle McLaren are, like, the good directors who worked on the show. They make it work. Mm-hmm. Like, those first two episodes work. They're, they're are, fine. You yeah. know, they're, they're not, like, stupendously directed. They're not, like, the best thing he's ever directed. But, yeah. like, it works. It's fine. Yeah, it's definitely, like, especially in the second episode, hamstrung by the sense of, like, oh, it's just going to be, like, a different guy to apologize to every week. But, like... He, he makes it entertaining. Yeah. And the Michelle McLaren episode is the best one. The very journeyman-ass directors of episodes three to five do not have that same uh, ability to elevate this. We're going to make a callback. It's time to get some answers. They survived the impossible. The Boyuna does not want us here. But the worst is yet to come. The terrifying season finale. Whoever did this will suffer. ABC's The River. Season finale next Tuesday, 9, 8 central. Yeah, like the guy who directs a series finale is a guy named Gary Fleeter, who directed such films as Runaway Jury, which I remember very uh, vividly because there were TV spots for it that seemed ubiquitous, where like the villain was just shouting, you're losing me, my jury. But it's like, that's... <laughs> get the impression that wasn't necessarily a director's film you know what i'm saying <laughs> not so much no yeah um so yeah i mean that's the river um is there anything else about it like conceptually that you want to talk about before no, I, we just move into our analysis of why it failed i think we covered it and if it's not obvious why it failed by now um you know yeah uh, here we go yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff that we've already mentioned the characters suck it doesn't make good use of found footage um it's way too episodic etc but there's a couple of other things, right? Because, like, bad TV can be successful. Um, if I'm thinking about this from an audience perspective, a big part of it is just that, like, paranormal activity was huge, but it was also, like, 
two to three years ago at this point. Well, you know, this was shortly after Paranormal Activity 3, which was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does make it sort of feel like a trend chaser, I think, rather than feeling like uh, uh, organic, which was could have been to its benefit. You know, we'll talk about later how the show was like received when it premiered or when it was about to premiere. So it could have been like, oh, this is look at this new example of this thing everyone loves right now. Now it's on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I definitely feel like it, maybe it would have felt a little more novel <laughs> if it had come out a little sooner, I guess. Yeah, it was like a very, very obvious trend chaser. It's like not only is it like an obvious lost trend chaser, and we'll get into that as far as the reception at the time, but it was an obvious trend chaser in multiple ways. Um, it's also just like, I, I think I mentioned this uh, a little bit ago, but we were talking about how like, okay, what does it have? It is a guy being thrown into the camera. It is the sped up and then slowed down like nighttime footage. Mm-hmm. It has the body language of like a hot girl getting possessed and being like bitch on a demon. Mm-hmm. And it's all that stuff is just like, you've already seen literally this, right? Like he is just playing the hits from Paranormal Activity 1. And it's like, if you have seen Paranormal Activity 1, then like you've seen it done better. Yeah. And if you haven't, then it's like, well, what attracted you to this in the first place? I don't believe you. You know, like, Yeah, if you're just channel surfing and this pops up, it's just going to look like shit, basically. Yeah, that that's so... Like, imagine being just like the, uh, uh, you know, watches TV standing up dad. And you just like are <laughs> channel surfing and it's like, all right, let's see what's on ABC, the network of the mouse. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, just like super canted black and white grainy handheld footage it's like shaking all over the place and you can't tell what's going on. It's like, oh, shit sucks. No, I want to I learn about crime. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, you know, we'll get into this in a bit with my research. But like the reason that Paranormal Activity was a big success and the reason that any horror movie literally is a big success is that you can make them really cheaply. Yeah. Like, really cheaply. Yeah. If you know a guy in Los Angeles with like an awful hideous house you are 70 percent away to making a paranormal activity movie <laughs> uh this one they shot on location in oahu like geniuses yeah like oren pelly like said that this like cost more than like anything he'd ever made before and it's like well why like you know that this is a guy who can make gold for people with like next to no budget are you not gonna try to take advantage of that in any way and i know that like we've been literally talking about how like oh, we, we miss when Lost-type shows were actually, like, in unique environments and whatnot. But, like, there's a, a way to make those environments sing. And that really isn't what we got here, right? Yeah. Like, we don't have, like, gorgeous, like, Larry Fong-type nature photography. There's, like, a scene that's, like, supposedly from The Undiscovered Country with Dr. J. Cole, where it's like, dude, why does your nature documentary have the worst lighting of all time? That's not what outside looks like, asshole. Yeah. I've been outside. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, like we said, it's not soul-sucking, it's not like an assault on the senses the way the flash forward is, but it just makes so little of an impression on you outside of episode six, and every decision that they make, it's like, oh, well, there's a really obvious low-hanging fruit, like, somewhat better decision they could have made. Yeah. So that's kind of why I failed. Yeah, so now we're gonna go to my segment. Um, Tell me your research. We should come up with a name for the Esther segment. Yeah. Well, get back to us in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so, first thing I want to start off with is something you discovered, which yeah. is that if you type the River TV show into Wikipedia, 
Here are the options that show up in order. Mm -hmm. Joan Rivers. Yeah. Three Rivers TV series. The Late Show, 1986 talk show. With Joan Rivers. (laughs) Soap TV series. Mm. Firefly TV series. River Tim. That would be why. Mm -hmm. Arthur TV series. That one I have no idea. I don't know. Um, And then finally you get to the river after all of that. So if that doesn't give you a sense of the sort of cultural impact of the river as a television show, I don't know what will. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But what you might not know is that when the show premiered, there was a shit ton of coverage of it. Mm -hmm. Like an actual lot. Like, you know, uh, everyone pegged it as a lost clone. I'm going to read a couple quotes here. This is from The Hollywood Reporter. There are so many moments in ABC's The River when you want to congratulate its creators for trying a little more blatantly to be lost than others will admit. And there are other times when you think, wow, paranormal activity on a weekly basis with a touch of Heart of Darkness might be interesting too. New York Times had this to say, the overarching story about a ragtag rescue expedition chugging up the Amazon basin and encountering spirits both visible and invisible, while gleaning hints about a larger, more earth-shaking mystery, is heavily redolent of a former ABC series, Lost. Reinforcing the similarity are rustling treetops, antiquated gravestones, and Hawaiian locations. And this one, my favorite one, from the New York Post, in an article titled, Up a Crazy, Quote, River, Unquote. Lovers of Lost take heart. ABC has a new mysterious jungle series with the downriver patrol boat feel of Apocalypse Now and a character with the relentless need for fame of risk-taking idiot Steve Irwin. <laughs> and I'm not doing I'm going to kill Barney the Dinosaur <laughs> post about Steve I Irwin. Love the New York Post's coverage of the river, so much of it is about like, and Steve Irwin was an idiot who deserved to die. <laughs> I love that. Um... So no, there was a lot of coverage of the show. It was like a big deal, even for a mid-season replacement, for there to be a show like in this format. You know, people yeah. were really curious about it. Um, reviews, middling, you know. There were some people who did see promise in it that maybe was yet to be fulfilled. Then most people just said, this is too self-serious. A lot of people called it humorless. Yeah. Um, and even they, you know, the critical establishment of 2012 thought that the deployment of the found footage gimmick was really lazy. <laughs> Um, Credit to them. Yeah. Here's a quote from Oren Pelly. The pilot was more expensive than any movie that I've been involved in. Insane. We talked about this, right? Yeah. You can make Paranormal Activity for $5. Yeah. Why would you make one of these that costs more money than anything this guy's ever made before? Do you know a guy with a beige house? Does that house have like a really hideous balcony? Mm -hmm. Like, is a guy going to get thrown off that balcony in Act 3? Yes. Yeah. Paranormal activity is in session. Pally said, first, we're dealing with real actors who get real salaries here. And then we shot the pilot in Puerto Rico and you had to transport people there. Plus, you're dealing with a boat and a river, which are expensive things. And we had to build sets and do stunts with the paranormal movies. And Insidious, we were fairly limited in terms of the number of stunts that we were doing. And in most cases, we only had one or two locations and we stayed in Los Angeles. So nobody had to travel. It's like, yeah, that's a great way to make a movie. And those movies are good. You really fucked up. I don't know what to tell you. Um, you know. The, so he's talking about Insidious, too. Yeah, he's a producer on all the Insidious movies. We'll talk about that, in, you know, when we talk about the creators here. And so we're talking that the pilot is, like, at least $2 million in that case. Yeah. Which, like, yeah. $2 million for the pilot. Yeah. You I know? mean, like, it, it that will work sometimes. Like, Lost Fancy had a very expensive yeah. pilot. But but Lost like... looked really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> This looks like a found footage show. Found footage should not be expensive because it's not supposed to look expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
this was a situation where by the time the finale rolled around, everyone knew it was over. Yeah. There was like no question. All the reviews of the finale were just like tacitly admitting that the show was not going to be renewed. Everyone knew it. Um, it you know premiered 7.6 million viewers. That's not bad. Plummeted to 4.9 the next week. New Girl was eating its lunch. Then it just hovered around 4 million until the finale when it finally slipped under to 3.9. Uh-oh. And the week after, Dancing with the Stars returned in its time slot with over 15 million viewers. The River was just a fucking holding pattern, basically. No one gave a shit about this show. There's not even any, like, you know, um, you know, like, funeral interviews that we sometimes get with the creators. Yeah. Where they were like, what went wrong with The River? Yeah. Literally, the only thing I found was an interview with Jason Bloom where he was like, we're working on a new found footage TV show called <laughs> The Experiment that never got made. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. You know? There was, like, a little bit of buzz about Netflix picking it up, because that was back in the days when fucking everything that got canceled. Netflix saved the show. Netflix was supposed to save the show. You better believe I I signed, like, an online petition to save Lodestar and be like, (laughs) Netflix, broadcast Lodestar. Uh, And it got, like, five signatures. (laughs) I thought you were going to say it got five seasons on Netflix. No, it got five signatures. And they were all also from, like, people being pressured into poly relationships. (laughs) Into the same poly relationship. Yeah. Unbelievably. Um... No. So, you know, what happened to our creators? Orrin Pelly um, just kept producing every subsequent Paranormal Activity and Insidious movie. He directed one called Area 51 that we haven't seen. Maybe we'll check it out sometime. I've seen Area 51. Oh, is it good? Uh, <laughs> it's not scary, and it takes a long time to get rolling, but, like, once they're in the area, like, there's a lot of like really cool tricks as far as just like oh this this is a really cool zone this is a really like scary and compelling and like large and unknowable looking zone i'm very impressed that you managed to make that happen for so little money um one of the executive producers was a guy named steven spielberg um (laughs) he went on to make a bunch of movies there was one last year i really liked called the fablemans Uh, you should check that out Spielberg. If you haven't seen it, Fable Man. Come on. Yeah, no, I know it's stupid, but it's actually like he's made some pretty good movies, and um, you know, I'm glad he landed on his feet after this. Yeah. Um, the other showrunner was a guy named Michael R. Perry, who was a bunch of uh, you know, a bunch of TV credits, basically one of these classic guys. Anything I would know him for? Well, the very next thing, <laughs> funny you should mention that he went on to be a writer for was a show called Persons Unknown. Yeah. Is that a lost alike? That is, you know, funny you should mention it. That's a lost alike. Is it a site-specific lost alike? Funny you should mention it. It's a site-specific lost alike. Do you want to do it next episode? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, we're going to just do that one next episode. Let's fucking do that next episode. <laughs> so next month you could tune in for Persons Unknown. But is there anything else we want to say uh, to eulogize the river? Um, I would just say that it's like, this is probably the biggest disappointment. Huge disappointment. It's Others have sucked more, but this is the one where it's just like, damn, I believed in you. Yeah. But you know, it just gets pulled in so many like contradictory and unappealing directions. And that is like the platonic fate of a lost like that like a really cool idea just gets like, chopped up and spat back out by like the machine of how bad network television can be a lot of the time yep exactly that is the river we are going back onto dry land by the way way too many segments of this show were just on land what's up with that that's not a river it's fucking absolute lie of a tv show twat All right, before we go, you can find us on Twitter at Lost Broadcast. You can find all the information about the show there. Uh, hit us up on SoundCloud. 
You can listen to us on any kind of podcast platform. You probably already are. And of course, you can go and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash thelostbroadcasts. Uh, a bunch of you have already done that, and we're really happy about that. It really, it really moves us to see that people like the show that much and, and they want to support it. Um, and you can get a bunch of stuff. If you are listening to this one week early on Christmas, you are already a subscriber. And if you thought, wow, that would have been fun to listen on Christmas, you can become a subscriber. Uh, you can also get bonus episodes. We're going to be recording a bonus episode about a lost alike pilot very soon. Um, but you don't get to know what it is unless you subscribe. How about that? It's a secret. Um, and that's all I've got. See you all next uh, month. See you all next month. Bye. Bye. I wanted to talk about the crocodile hunter. Did you? Because I think yeah, yeah you're yeah, gonna yeah, make yeah, him yeah. sad. Because I think you know it was it was tragic yes. at the time, but I think <laughs> I don't know. People calling me, man, they're shocked. Oh, hey, you wouldn't believe it. Who got killed? The crocodile hunter. <laughs> don't, please don't make me laugh at this. This I mean, is not. This is like, not good he to was do. 44 years old. I'm like, that's a ripe old age for a crocodile hunter. <laughs> That's not. Uh, and you know who had to be pissed about it were the crocodiles, because uh, he got killed by some fruity fish. And uh, so you know, you know the crocodiles were like, "Hey man, that crocodile hunter got killed. Who did it, Frank?" Nah, nah you don't even want to know, man. Please, please don't do this anymore. This, this no, Bill, man, you had a chance once. The guy go, man, I had a chance. I had that mother. He was, he was Tommy with a stick. I could have eat him and his kid. I, I don't feel good about this. You remember I ever tell you that story, Bill? Yeah, only a thousand times. <laughs>